This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Keith Griffin, Dr. Griffin's Chief Medical Information Officer. He's going to tell us about the role of Chief Medical Information Officer, what that looks like today, what he sees, what the priorities are, and so forth. He's a leader at Novant Health. Keith, can you take a moment, tell us about yourself, tell us about the role of Chief Medical Information Officer, and maybe how you got there as well. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm an internist by training, trained in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and Proud Tar Heel. Um, and I'm one of the, I guess, generations of CMIOs that uh, sort of accidental CMIOs. It's certainly nothing that ever hit my radar or anything I ever thought about or, or trained to do. Uh, I think it probably came about because I carried a palm pilot around when I was in rounds in the hospital years ago, and people thought I liked technology <laughs> um, and got tapped on the shoulder and said, hey, you, you seem interested in this. And I uh, kind of grew from there. Um, I'm the CMO for the ambulatory services for Novant, uh, so I'm in charge of everything that happens in the clinics and uh, patients and physicians and the clinic services for a medical group, which is about 2,500 providers. Um, and uh, it's uh, always been a, a fun adventure, and there's never a dull moment kind of thing. When you talk for a moment about being a proud Tar Heel, I'll ask you the question, greatest basketball play ever, player ever, Michael Jordan, LeBron, Bill Russell, Larry Bird, who's the greatest of them all? Well, I've got to say Michael, just because uh, he went to school at the same time I was there, but uh, uh, Larry Bird was was great to watch. I mean, they all, you know, uh, you, you appreciate anybody that has that level of athleticism, and uh, uh, they're, uh, but I think Michael's, you know, just a step above everybody else, I think. Well, we're a proud Chicago Bull fan, so we'll go with you on Michael Jordan as well. We, um, so what does it take? What does a great CMIO do? What is to, to be, you don't have to be the Michael Jordan of CMIOs, but when you give advice to other CMIOs about what they should be doing, how they should be impacting things, how they should be helping things, what do you think are the things that, what advice do you give to other CMIO, CMIOs? Yeah, I think, you know, really trying to keep your eyes open to all the things that are available and possible, uh, really spending time understanding what all of the vendors that you already have in-house can do. Uh, there's a, a lot of what I call bright, shiny objects out there and, and things that, uh, you know, people are doing great work and there's a lot of really cool things, but sometimes they're, it's easier to implement something that you already have in house and, and take advantage of, of things that may already be there. And sometimes you forget to look there first. Um, and then really focusing on what's important to the organization and, and where the organization wants to go. And yeah, I, I sometimes think the role is not really a CMIO anymore. It's a CMAO, a chief medical alignment officer. I think I spend more time trying to keep people you know, aligned on the vision and the goal of where we're trying to, to head as an organization and make sure that we're providing tools that resonate with the patients and the providers and nurses and all the people that use the DMR and the other associated functionality. Uh, so really, the, the advice is really have a very broad group of people that you keep in touch with, understanding all the people in the organization that, that have needs and have inputs and, and make sure that you are available and they see you as the person to go to when they have a question or concern as to how to solve something. When you, when you talk about that, the chief medical alignment officer, and I think there's so much to that, how is the, you know, 
chief medical information officers started to show up. How long ago did they start to show up? Ten years ago? Was that sort of like if you put a date out there, ten years ago is when you first started to see chief medical information officers, chief nurse information officers? Yeah, 10, 15 maybe. I think, you know, it became it became sort of the, the role that was developed around how you're going to implement an EMR for a large organization and um, sort of became the the clinician that be, was put in charge of, you know, making sure that things didn't blow up when you went from paper to digital, right? <laughs> um, and, and I think that uh, that role was critically important, and uh, certainly I played that role with, with our implementation at Novant, but um, I think once that's in place and once you're now creating data, I think, you know, for years, for most of my career, I couldn't tell you which one of my patients needed a mammogram, you know, much less anything else. And and now we're creating data in, in you know, an unbelievable uh, amount. And, you know, trying now the focus is how do you take advantage of that? You know, what, what's the best way to present that to the provider? What's the best way to continue to improve quality? Um, how do you report yourself back to the payers? You know, those are things that you spend a lot of time thinking about now, not so much how you implement the MR and get providers to actually use it. It's how you get value out of it. And, and you had mentioned a moment ago, and this is such a great challenge with technology is, you know, if you talk about how much of a particular type of technology is used, you know, with many, many technologies, even the iPhone, you're probably using, many of us are probably using 10% of its capabilities, and that's just the most basic technology we all touch today, or the iPad or whatever it is. But you mentioned there's always a search for the next shiny object versus optimizing what's already there. How much of that work is there to try and figure out, I mean, in a system like Novant, which is so huge, how many technologies are we actually running? How much are we using those technologies? How do we optimize use? How much of the effort is around aligning that versus chasing the next purchase. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly the to a large degree the, the role that I play. And you know, a big, big part of, of what we do in, in, in the group that I have under me is is, is sort of provider optimization and, and making sure that the, the physicians and the nurses have a, a forum to reach out and get their voices heard and say this doesn't seem quite right or something's wrong. We actually have a project that we call Get Rid of Stupid Stuff, which is uh, an easy way for uh, physicians to actually put a, a, a note in to the team directly, uh, and it goes right to my uh, physician optimization leader, and there's been a lot of quick wins we can do with that, and, and the system should be able to do this, and, and sometimes it's really just uh, an education. Well, the system can do that. You just need to, you know, we need to show you how to do that, but a lot of things are really true enhancements that come out of that just by having that feedback loop back with your with your physicians, which I see my patients, the patients of Novon is my main priority, but my main consumer is is really the, the physicians themselves. When you were starting this, there was always a physician like you. Uh, my own primary care physician was the primary care physician that was more technology forward than the rest of his group. Then he ended up with a serious role at what's Advocate Aurora on technology, um, you know, large system here. What's the literacy? I mean, obviously, I'm in my late 50s, so the difference in my native technology skills versus those that are 30 years younger than me is night and day. I mean, they are far more technology native and adept than I am. 
it's much harder for me to pick up a new technology than it is for the people in their 20s, 30s, whatever age range it is. What's the technology literacy, the technology, you know, nativeness of the physicians you're working with today? And does it span a globe based on age? Does it span a continuum based on just interest? What do you see out there in terms of the technology? You know, without, without of course, insulting the people my age and older, what do you see out there in terms of the technology adeptness or desire of the physicians you work with and align with? I'm pretty much right in the exact age that you, you mentioned, so I'm, I'm right there with you. But, yeah, it, it really is amazing to see the the younger, you know, trained physicians coming out that have, you know, grown up with the computers and grown up, you know, thinking this way. Um, and there definitely is a, a divide there. And, you know, my father, you know, worked as a physician for years, and he finally, the day he retired was the day they sort of made him go to the EMR. And um, and there are definitely, but but it's it'll fool you too. There's some providers that you might have thought would have a trouble making the adjustment, and they they flourish with it. And a lot of it, you know, depends on how you know malleable you are, and how you're able to kind of adapt to to a, a big what is a is a real huge change. I mean, the the way that you interact with your patients as a provider, you know, I tell you know young young med students now, the EMR is the most important tool that you have, um, you know, it used to be the stethoscope. It used to be, you know, the other things and of course your mind, but, but as far as how you take care of patients, you know, how that EMR functions. And if you start looking for places to practice, you're really focusing on what, what that experience is like for you is really critical. Um, but, but I think in terms of that range of, of, you know, there's some younger providers that, that struggle and just, um, you know, get, get too lost in it, right? They can't figure the, the simple workflow to get through things um, and get lost in all the, all the buttons, so to speak. Um, and there's more providers that, that really figure out a good workflow for them and, and, uh, and do a great job. So it's, you try to meet each, each provider where they are in the middle. And that's part of what our optimization team does. We've got uh, one of the physicians on my team that I think is just, uh, you know, I call him physician Valium because he can, he can calm people down and really say, Hey, here's how we need to do this. And, and that, that really meeting that provider where they are is really, really critical. And, and w- let me ask you an- another question. You know, if we went back, this debate, I think, is now done, I assume, because you, you just said the most important sort of technology someone has is the EMR, because so much about the patient, so much about everything is there. And w- what about, if we went back, when did it end this? Probably about, up to about, Five years ago, you still had some physicians saying, you know, this EMR is ridiculous. It makes life more difficult. And, it, and it's not to understate that because it did, there's an adjustment. It did make life difficult for, for people. But what could you put a year on it when this call to get rid of EMRs ended? Like there, there were still physicians. If I went back 10 years ago, you could still find maybe 10% of physicians that said this EMR is, you know, stupid. We shouldn't have it. Too many problems, too many challenges. When did that number dwindle so low that it became a non-number? I mean, now if you hear somebody say we don't need an EMR, you probably think they're insane. I assume you, you I mean, nicely because you're a nice person, you probably don't use those words. <laughs> I'm a media person, so I do. Yeah. But but it, you know, if somebody says today you think they're insane, I mean, of course you can practice or treat patients well without it. We all see that now. But when did most of that objections to it start to go? There's still objections to it, but when did the you know fundamental exist, existential objections start to go away? 
I think a big part of it was when the interoperability really came in. Um, you know, when you can see what happens in other organizations or the patient is moving around and I can go and look into, you know, the, the you know, patient comes out of a different hospital and I can see what happened there. I think suddenly you're no longer tied to the fax machine. You're no longer tied to your medical records department and you can actually do things in the room. And I, I think there's just some eye-opening moments like that, 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 providers have that says, wait a minute, maybe, you know, maybe this is all worth it. I, I may not like all the things about it. I may not like how I have to, you know, physically enter in orders as opposed to, you know, putting on a piece of paper and have somebody else put the order in. But I think in the whole, as the technology improves, as you have, you know, I think Dragon and what, you know, the, the voice recognition pieces have gotten so good now that that uh, really helps with efficiency. I think, uh, you know, all of the not necessarily the EMR, and of course we're an Epic shop, but you know, not necessarily the, the EMR itself, but but all the other technologies around it that become a whole experience. But you're, it all comes through the EMR, and I think it was very easy eight, nine, ten years ago when medicine was changing, and there, you know, medicine's still changing. But there's just so much, and 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 the the frustration of the EMR was maybe not necessarily with the EMR itself. It's just that was the the easiest thing to blame because all the things that were changing compensation and regulation and everything else, it all gets, you know, presented to you through the EMR and it just kind of becomes the, the, the conduit for all those other frustrations to bring themselves to you. So um, I think the other big piece and, 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 you know, there's been nothing good about the last year and a half, obviously, but you know, the whole video visit um, patient engagement uh, ability to continue to take care of people Virtually, um, I think really opened a lot of eyes too um, on the provider front uh, in terms of what that could mean, what that could do for them, how that could actually not be a a negative or something that's just one other thing, but actually a way to enhance their relationship with their patients. You had mentioned as part of that discussion of the Dragon speaking, the Dragon Natural speaking. When Dragon first came out, lawyers and writers were using it a lot. And it was very, very clunky. And that was a long time ago. How good is it today? And I, I could speak clearly when I'm doing this, when I'm doing it for a living. But my general day-to-day speech, you know, my friends tease me about it constantly being clunky and stuttery and poor and all that kind of stuff. How good is it today for physicians? And how hard or easy a time do physicians have with the dragon and the other voice transcription stuff compared to 10 years ago? Oh, I think it's night and day. I mean, I, I've used it all along and I, I really did not have a, you know, I'd pull out Dragon every once in a while just to show it off or, you know, show people that it could be done, but uh, you'd have to spend hours training it. And, and, and right now it's sort of out of the box and, and, you know, there's also in mobile, there's other organizations, other companies too, but, you know, it, it has gotten so good and, and so much with the technology in the cloud and, and we're actually doing some of the ambient work uh, where, it's actually listening to the conversation between you and the patient and creating the note in a sense for you. And we've got uh, several providers that are doing that and we're starting a pilot with primary care on that here soon. And I'm, I'm very excited about kind of where that goes along with the sort of, you know, Alexa, Google assistant, you know, Hey, you know, order this test for me kind of thing and, and talking to the system and have things done. I think there's a we're just the tip of the iceberg in terms of how the provider interfaces with the computer 
and make it less of, you know, I'm typing and I'm using the keyboard, but I'm able to use my voice and do other things to get the information I need or to put information I need into the system. How good are those things coming along now? They, they, I mean, they all, everybody talks more and more about something I never even heard about a year or two ago, the ambient listening stuff where you could be looking at your patient, looking at the patient and talking into the, you know, into something else ambient that just picks it up and enters into the note. How good is that stuff coming along? I've, I've been impressed. We've um, you know, certainly had several demos. We actually have it live in our environment. And I think at the current uh, configuration, it's not all done by the computer. I think the computer sort of tees up the note and then they actually have a, a, a scribe or a, a person on the back end just to kind of proofread it. I think the day is coming very soon, though, where it'll be, you know, completely uh, done through the the ambient technology itself, and it has progressed amazingly fast. I remember seeing at Hims, I guess three years ago. I'm losing track of time with everything being canceled back and forth, but you know, they demonstrated three years ago, and it was very much a scripted. I think it was an orthopedic exam, and it was a very, it was very clear. It was very, it was, it was, it was interesting, and it was good, but we just did a demo with them for the pilot that we're doing and it was our own physician that was kind of playing the role of the patient and and sort of threw a bunch of curveballs and it, it it did a remarkable job just on the computer actually consoling that and making the notes so i think as people get used to that i think it does it's going to change a little bit how you speak as the provider you want to make sure that you're really calling out the things you want the system to know but it's like anything else. You make a transition and you change your behaviors a little bit, but I think the payoff on that is going to be huge efficiencies. So I'm very excited hey, about let me, it. Let me ask you another question. A person in your position, I promise I could not let you go soon. It's just so interesting to me, quite frankly. A person in your position gets hit with, hits the wrong word. You get pitched on tons of different products and ideas. I mean, I, I bet just a ton of different technology people want to get through to you to talk to you about and, and see if somehow or another they can influence Devant to look at more seriously. How do you assess, is it, how do you assess, I mean, because, I mean, there's there's just an explosion of products, thousands of digital health products, thousands of technology products. Oh, yeah. How do you yeah. assess what, what you're going to take a look at or decide to look at more seriously or look at implementing? How do you do some of that assessment? Yeah, it can be. Sometimes it's um, sometimes you don't know how your own thought press works on some of that. But obviously, a lot of it is, like I said, from the beginning, you know, you may may get a, a germ of a great idea from another pitch like that. And then, you know, the first step I go is to say, is there something that we've got internally or something we can build or something that, you know, there's a, a switch that we can turn on to, to do some of that within the system we already have. Um, and if it is truly a, a, something we're excited about and is a hole in our current product portfolio, then I think we, we have those conversations. Uh, another one that we've, we've been doing a lot with is, is Taito, um, which is uh, as part of the video visit platform, uh, the ability for the doctor to be able to listen to the patient's lungs and look in their ears. And, um, and we've done as many Taito visits in the last year and a half as we did video visits for six years. So. Um, that's actually been uh, very interesting and I think has real potential use in you know, discharge for sick patients in the hospital and ability to you know, do actual examinations for patients while they're at home. Um, but you know, that's one, again, that was, it was a kind of unique technology. It really kind of fit the niche. We, it really fit in our 
drive to, to patient engagement and, and uh, providing sort of new and, and uh, exciting technology to patients. So um, that's, a, that's an example. Uh, no, but to, too, but to but, that um, to that point, how, how much of it is opportunistic? Your team or somebody just sees something there, versus methodical. We're trying to find a solution for this. Yeah, I think it's it's sort of both. I mean, sometimes there's you know inherently from from somewhere in my team or in my head or whatever, there's an idea of hey, this is something that we need, and we we go out and look to see what's out there. Obviously, as you said, there's a lot of people that are always kind of you know, reaching out to you and saying, Hey, I've got this idea. And you kind of, you know, you may not have the time or ability to implement it or think about it seriously at that time, but at least it kind of puts in the back of your mind as something that's, that's out there that may be possible. I think some of the challenges, all the great ideas, how do you make them fit into the workflow of the provider and not be something that sits outside? Because the minute, minute you take the patient, the provider out of that EMR experience, you, you've created a, um, you know, sort of a, a, a two-world approach, and, and that that becomes a problem, and it becomes less less used, in my opinion. So, the more that we can embed that into the experience of the the provider, then the more it's going to be used, the more benefit you're going to get, and the more value you'll get from from the opportunity itself. Right. If you don't if you don't have true provider buy-in, you might as well not even bother. Right. I mean, at the end of the day. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, yeah, things things that actually touch provider. I mean, certainly there are a lot of things that 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 you know, we do that may involve marketing or involve other other parts, but things that are truly clinical and truly need to enhance that provider-patient relationship, if it's not something that providers can use, then it really is um, probably wasted effort and dollars, I think. Really, Dr. Griffin, I have so many more questions for you, but I won't, I won't take any more of your time today, but I sure appreciate you joining us. What a pleasure to visit with you. I agree with you on everything you've said and doubly on the Michael Jordan comments. Absolutely. <laughs> Go Heels. No, in all seriousness, thank you so much for joining us. Just a font of wisdom. Thank you very much, Dr. Griffin. We appreciate it. Thank you.